Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name is Tim. This is Adam. And I'm Jen. And we're going to give you our hot takes on the game that we just finished playing, Castles of Burgundy. As always, I'm going to give a brief description of the game and then we'll jump in with our thoughts. Castles of Burgundy is a tile drafting game where each round you'll roll two six-sided die and then take two actions based on the numbers that you rolled. There are six different tile drafting areas on the main board that correspond to the sides of the dice. The primary actions you'll be taking is using one of your dice to draft a tile off of the matching area on the main board and then placing it in one of three reserve spaces on your board, or taking one of the tiles from your reserve and placing it on one of the spaces on your player board that has a matching number as a dice that you use to take that action, with the limitations that it has to be placed adjacent to an existing tile and the region must match the color of the tile you're placing. The tiles do a variety of things. Building tiles typically provide you another specific type of action. Animal tiles give you immediate points based on the number of matching animals you've played in that region. Mines give you ore that can be spent to draft special tiles from the center of the board. Boat tiles move you up in the turn order track and give you good tiles that can be traded in for points and ore. Castle tiles give you a free action of any type. And technology tiles give you unique ongoing abilities or endgame scoring bonuses. When you fill in a colored region on your player board, you get points based on the size of the region and the round that you completed. The game is played over five rounds that are each five turns each, and at the end of the final round, the player with the most points wins. The Castles of Burgundy was designed by Stefan Feld and published by Alea. So let's jump in with our thoughts. Adam, let's start with you. Give me your take on the mechanisms of the game tonight. The mechanisms are nice. They're kind of, they're not overly complex. There's not too much. There's not a big plethora of mechanisms. You just, you're Basically, you roll these two dice. That's always pleasant. And then it's uh, you got drafting or put them out on your player board, just like you kind of just said. I guess the part that stands out to me to most is the spatial puzzle of the of the individual player boards. So I like that aspect of it. You're having to think ahead about the probability that your dice will sh- you know show whatever face. So you want to give yourself the most options, at least how that's how I try to play. So I'm working out the spatial puzzle of this particular tile and how that's going to combo up with other potential tiles, but also trying to balance that with giving myself the most options for future tiles. By that, I mean having the numbers themselves, one through six, available on the, on my board, so I'm not necessarily stuck. So I like that little puzzle, and that's that's kind of what stands out to me as, uh, as the most enjoyable kind of puzzle for this game. Yeah, I'll jump on on that. One of the things I didn't mention in the rules description is that you can use one of your dice on a turn to buy workers. And you can also get workers by placing um, a specific type of building tile. But basically what workers do is they let you change your dice. It, It lets you add or remove essentially pips or numbers from the dice so that you can kind of adjust what you can do with them. And um and so that, you know, it it's a little bit of an efficiency puzzle. Like you, there's sometimes it's, you want to rush in and get something done, but you don't have the right numbers. You can spend your workers to do it, but then you know in the future that means you're going to have to waste actions to get more workers. And um, and so sometimes it's about the trade-off of like, I want to get this done now, but if I hold on and just do something else with the dice I've got, then I can save that action for later. So there's a little bit about trying to, I mean, I won the game tonight and I usually do, but <laughs> there's a little bit about, you know, like one of the things that I focus on is trying to use the the fewest workers I possibly can. Even if there's something I really want to get done in a turn, I try to just, you know, use the dice I can and find a, a use for them. And usually you can almost always, maybe the end of the first round is the toughest because 
you don't you haven't extended your board a lot. There's not a lot of tiles you're connected to. But that's when it's a little bit tougher to kind of find tiles that you can work with or place tiles on your board. But otherwise, you can almost always find something you can do with the tiles on your board. So, uh, yeah, I think the spatial puzzle and just trying to be as efficient as possible is 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 pretty fun there. And there's a bunch more things I could say about that. But, Jen, what about you? Anything anything that stands out to you as a mechanism here? Yeah, we should start out with the fact that for me, Castles of Burgundy is my gateway game. It's the first like strategic game that I really got into. And so I learned it from Tim and Danielle. And now it is definitely a part of the rotation. And people know if they allow me to pick a game, there is a really good chance that I am going to pick Castles of Burgundy. And I do that with no shame whatsoever. I really, really enjoy this game. Although Tim did tell me this weekend when I chose it and he gave me the option but yeah, that was really cool 10 years ago. I disagree because I only learned it three years ago. So there was no way that it was possibly cool before three years ago when I learned it. So period, end of sentence. <laughs> no, it's still, I still love Kepha Burgundy. So I was kidding about that. I mean, you, you pick it a lot, you know, and, and even tonight, like I wanted to get you, I wanted to invite you on the podcast since Chris was going to be out tonight. And I know that this was a favorite game. So I said, Hey, Jen, if we pick Kepha Burgundy tonight, will you join the podcast? You're like, heck yes. I've been dying to talk yes. about it. And that's awesome. You put the carrot in front of me and I chased it right into your podcast <laughs> is what happened. So. But at the same time, after, you know, I don't know, 65 plus games of, of Castle of Burgundy, I still enjoy it. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's like, it's not as exciting. It's not fresh, you know, oh. as fresh to me. Yeah. So, so that's why I kind of made that joke, but I'm still always in, I always enjoy playing. I'm always looking forward to playing Castle of Burgundy. It's always a good, it's a, it's a good one for me. For me, I kind of look at it as like, you know, if we think about like the middle of, I don't know, a flower, right? You come back to the middle and it's awesome. And then you go back out and you make a pedal out of it. And that's how you learn a new game. Like uh, the, I don't know, the Everdale that we're playing or the Artemis project that we're playing. Like that's coming back. But I always want to come back to the middle because that's where the good stuff is. And so for me in the middle, maybe it's an Oreo cookie. It's Castles of Burgundy for me. So what I like yeah, about I it, though. I don't get the flower. Hold on. I don't get the flower analogy. <laughs> like what is that? You go to the middle and it's awesome. And then you go build a pedal. Drawing a picture like a flower. I have kids, right? And so there's the middle, and you're there, and you're super happy, and you draw that circle, and you can draw it in and whatever color, and then you make a petal, and you just kind of draw it out, right? And you play that game, but you come back to the middle because you had to make, you had to, you had to close up the loop and come out back in. Totally makes sense, Tim. Just go. I have a kid too, and this analogy is just not working for me. Uh, yeah, no, no, okay, but but I like the Oreo analogy. I mean, sure, like the the, the cream stuffing in the middle is really tasty, and then I guess you right. like the cookie right. on the outside. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, let's move on. So, what, what did you, what did you what what's one of the mechanisms that you really like? I see how it's going to be tonight. I see you invite me on because you like me so much, and then you just give me a hard time. Um, what I like about it, and I don't again, I don't use the terminology cor- correctly, but I like the layers. So we come into it and there is, you know, I can draft a title, I can play a title, I can use my dice to get workers, I can use my dice to sell goods, and then discovering what that's going to do for me. But in the big picture for me, it's about the long game, right? And so you can do your first couple turns in that first round and have really high impact. So I tend to look for how, like making some really high impact scoring when I first come into it. And that makes me feel really good because I love watching my score kind of creep up right then. But then thinking about the long game, like knowing that, oh, wow, I can score like 20, 30 points right off the bat because you get those those really high bonuses being in, in round A, round B, when you finish off, a, you know, a specific section of one color. 
But in the long game, those numbers go down. And so now I have to think about my long game because the majority of the game, I'm not going to get that 10 and that eight point bonus. So now my brain is working in the here and now while also having to think about the next four rounds at the same time. And I really like, I mean, it's an analogy for life and I won't get into that because apparently you're going to give me a hard time tonight. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. It's like, be in the here and now as much as you possibly can, but you have to have a piece of yourself thinking about round B and round C and round D and round E. And so that's what this game does for me. And I really like it. There's a narrative about it in my head as we go. And so I really enjoy it in that way. Yeah. I mentioned in the rules description that the, you know, the bonus, the points that you get based on when you, when you fill in a color region on your board is based on the number of tiles in that region. And then it's all, and then, so like there's a, on the player map, there's a nice little aid that tells you if you place one tile and fill in that whole region, it's, if the tile, if the region is one tile large, you get one point for it. And if it's two tiles, it's three points and so on. So it kind of escalates with the more tiles that are in there because it makes it harder to finish. But then you mentioned the round, you know, basically like the sooner in the game that you complete a region, the more points you're going to get. If you complete it in the first round of the five rounds, you're going to get 10 points, the second round, eight points. So it's really, it's huge if you fill in a one or two uh, space region at the beginning of the game, because it's very easy to do, you're going to get a huge bonus of points for it. And if you fill in a one or two space region on the last round of the game, you know, the first round, it's like 13 points for filling in a two space region. And the final round, it's like five points. And that's a big difference, right? And that's the same reason why when we look at our boards, we get excited about it or we don't get excited about it. And I think that's because we each have our own strategy that we hope to default to because it's kind of where our brain feels really good about it. And so when we see our board, when it pops up, we either have that yay or nay based on that that first moment. So I want to see a lot of little sections. Whereas when we play with Tim's wife, Danielle, she wants to see those, those. She plays the long game, I think. And she wants to see those bigger sections so I can see her reaction to that when that happens. And so it's based on how it makes your brain feel in that moment and how we kind of default. So yet another life analogy. So yeah, that's one of the things that I think is also interesting here is that with the player mats, every player has a player mat that they're playing on. And there's a starting, there's kind of a basic player mat. So you can give everybody the exact same player mat in the game. And that's okay. It's interesting. You know, it's fine. It's good to, to kind of learn the game with that. But then once you get past the starting player mat, there is a whole bunch of unique player mats that everybody has kind of a different layout. So you just mentioned you get that player mat and you can either say, yay, I'm excited about that or not. Uh, it's interesting to hear you say that the you, you immediately go to like, okay, are there a lot of easy spots I can fill in? Because I think that's a great strategy in the game. Personally, I don't typically, I mean, like I look for that. And when I'm placing my castle tile to begin and where I'm going to kind of start to spread from, I, I like to think about that. But I usually get more excited about the types of tiles that I have fun playing in the game. Like I like it when I'm mm. playing the, the player mat that has eight building tiles because the, the building tiles to me are fun. You always, when you play a building tile, you almost always get another action to do after it. And I like kind of that comboing versus the, the player board that has the six technology tiles. Now the technology tiles can be some of the most valuable tiles in the game, but for some reason I don't have as much fun playing a technology tile that is just going to get me more points at the end or a change in my strategy or, you know, like, or, you know, bonus actions because I don't get to do something with them right away. So when I see that six, you know, like that, that player map that has the six technology tiles to fill in together, which can be worth a lot of points, that one doesn't get me as excited. So we definitely kind of settle on the, you know, the, the way that we like to play the game and what gets us excited about it. And, and I think that's interesting. I want to I talk about that a little bit more. But Adam, did you want to jump in with anything else right now? Because I've been talking for a little bit here. So to piggyback, I had, I had that six 
technology one, or at least the castle in the middle, and then six techs right around that middle castle. Mm-hmm. And it, you know what? It kind of does look like a flower, Jen, now that I think of it. It's flower oh board. Gosh. It has nothing to do with my theory. It has nothing to do with my theory, but it is the flower board. Adam, you are correct. It's all about flowers. Yep. But, but yeah, I get excited about those buildings. You know, it's nice. Like you mentioned, the, those buildings are exciting because they do combo up. And that's one thing I enjoy about games. That feel, it feels good on the brain to get those combos. If like you're making progress kind of situation, at least for me. And it was, I did find that a difficulty now that you point that out, trying to fill in those texts and make them worthwhile. And that was something my brain was having trouble doing. So you make a good point. You know, the the first time I'm going to go into a little bit of a tangent here, but the first time I ever picked up this game, I was uh, I had been playing some hobby games for a little while, but I was just starting to kind of build up my own collection. I just started to buy a couple of games and I'd seen Castle of Burgundy show up on a lot of, you know, favorite games lists and top 10 lists. And it came up for sale on Amazon for like 20 bucks. So I was like, okay, I don't know anything about this game. It looks ugly, but people are talking nice about it. So I'll just, I'll go ahead and pick it up. And I, it, I, it got sent to me and I opened up the box and I read the rules and I was blown away by the elegance of the game system that you've got here. I mean, um, the, just all of the little pieces, how they work together, the fact that, um, that, you know, like this, the stuff that you close out earlier is worth more points. You're kind of motivated to close those out. But of course, they're worth less points because it's smaller sections typically that you can get in the beginning. Like, I love the balance of that. I love that there are I, what six or seven different types of tiles that all do their own things. And you, you know, so every time you're picking one, you're making a choice between like, do I want to fill in this section or do I want to get this extra bonus that this other tile gets me? And, and they're just like so many, I, I just, I'll keep going back to the word elegant with this game because all the pieces just fit together so nicely. Now I will say that there are some things that are not elegant about the game and I'll circle back to those, but the gameplay itself is extremely smooth. And one of the other things that I think <clears throat> makes it feel smooth and elegant is that you only have you're limited by the dice roll, right? So you you roll those two dice and there's a whole bunch of choices to make. There's, I don't know, what is it? 40 tiles to draft from every round. And then there's like 40 spaces on your board. You can put tiles. And so theoretically that could be like a, a stifling number of decisions to make on your, on your turn, but you roll two dice and you only have two numbers to work with. So you can basically ignore you know, for the most part, you can ignore every drafting section that doesn't match one of the dice tiles. So you can immediately say, like, I can forget about those. Let me just look at these other spaces. And then you can say, well, if I'm going to play something on my board, it has to be connected to one of my tiles on my board. So, oh, at the beginning of the game, I only have three colors that I can even use. So let me ignore all the other colors that don't match that. So all of a sudden, you've turned what could be 80 decision points into five or six decision points. And that's it's just really, you know, it, it's comforting to know that you like, there's a lot of fun stuff to do, but you're a little restricted and it helps, you know, simplify your game decisions and not put you in a state of analysis paralysis, but it, it makes it easier to teach the game. It made it easier to, to learn the game. And so I think that that is probably what Castles of Burgundy does. The, the dice themselves, which normally is like just a luck factor, you know, and can sometimes be a big turnoff in a game. I think the dice and the way that those restrict your decisions is probably what makes this game just so perfect, um, you know, and just kind of come together, you know, and all the different pieces come together in the right way. You know, listening to you speak, Tim, I was thinking, you know, we are restricted to those dice, but there's also a piece of risk assessment that we have to deal with almost every time because we do have those workers. And so those workers can take us up or down. And so I, you know, it's, 
again, like that life analogy is that it, do I want to use them now? Is there going to be a better opportunity to use them in the future? Will I be able to gain more? Am I going to be stuck in this place? And then when you realize you're towards the end and you've used all your workers and you're just kind of like stuck in this rut, it's interesting. So I do agree with you that you, you there is that elegance to it, but there's also those rough edges that you kind of have to play in that make it different every single time. Yeah. And the, the decision is also really fun because not only are you, you have to make the decision, do I use a worker now and adjust things? But it's also a little bit about like, hey, I've got two options here and this one is better for me, but there's less of them available. So if I take this other one, or, you know, if, let's say there's less of the other one. So if I take this option right now, which is better immediately, Adam could steal this other tile from me or he could take it before it gets back around to me. And so I have to also be thinking, you know, in the short term, what should I do this turn? But also, hey, this turn, I could take either of these two building tiles, which one might be better than the other. But if I take this one, then I'm using up the number that I could use for that one boat tile, which I really need before the end of the round to fill out a section, you know? And so there is a lot of fun choices that come, even in your restricted choices, there are a lot of fun decisions to, you know, kind of decide like, is now the right time to do it versus later? And there's a, there's a personal level to it too. And we do know how, eat, when you start to play together, because I played with Tim a bunch, Danielle a bunch. I played with Adam now a bunch. Sometimes we play in a group. Sometimes we play just the two of us. And it just comes down to figuring out how, oh, I've seen patterns in my other player. And I know what I can do to kind of block them at this point. I know what they're going to default to. So that kind of feels good too in my body when I'm like, oh, I know what I'm going to get to do to just kind of mess their game up a little bit, whether it's to take their points down or just kind of like, you know, mess up their mojo a little bit. And so that's a little bit fun about the game as well. Yeah, you're mean, you're mean like that. Oh, but, um, no, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll start I'll that in a second. But Adam, you had something you wanted to jump in on there. I was going to touch on the similar point that you guys talked about. Maybe it's a function of playing the game on Yukata versus playing it in real life. But how much, at least so tonight we played on Yukata. It's a nice uh, online games forum. But how much on Yukata, are you flipping through other people's tabs and looking at their boards and seeing what pieces they might need versus, so I've never played the game in real life versus a game in real life and knowing just being able to look around and see what tile Jen might need or Tim might need and, and doing a little bit of hate draft. So, you know, recognizing the importance of a certain tile. I feel like that's something that I am missing for sure playing it in this form. And if I was a little bit better and more savvy, maybe I'd be clicking through, but just in general, the player interaction piece is a little bit is a little bit lacking for me. And maybe there could be more if I was looking for it more. But what's your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, so I'll I'll tell you, Adam, that I agree that I think Yukata restricts the player interaction a little bit because you can flip, you know, and look at other players' boards, but it's not the default, right? If you're if you're kind of focused on your game or you're just chatting with the other players, your your player mats up and Yukata restricts what you're seeing of everything else. Um, the game is not hugely interactive, you know, like you're not making hate drafting decisions every turn of the game, but the hate drafting will determine the winner of the game in some cases. And I've seen it happen multiple times. If somebody's trying to fill in that four animal section and you take, there's one four, you know, sheet that comes up in the last round, they would end up getting them like 17 or 18 points plus fill out their section. And you go first, you take those sheep, right? Like, and you can, that happens all the time. If somebody's trying to fill in the eight building section, and one of the things I didn't mention in the in the rules description is the building tiles are are kind of interesting because you're restricted to having one of each type of building in the regions that they can go in. And so if somebody's trying to fill in that eight building section, so they have to have one of each building. And, and typically they're not going to fill that in until maybe the last round. 
So that that last set of building tiles comes up and they're the third player. Now you've got two players there that can basically take the only buildings that could let them fill in that section. And I've seen it happen. And if that player doesn't get those eight buildings and get the you know 35 point bonus for doing that, they're not going to win the game. So it can be hugely interactive in limited circumstances, but it's not it's not a type of game where you're like making decisions from the beginning saying like, okay, I see she went for sheep. I'm going to start taking sheep because it's played with 50 actions, you know, five, five turns over five rounds with two actions each round. There's a lot of things that people can do to pivot. <clears throat> so you can't really block them, you know, throughout the game, but there are some ways that you can start to find um, to, to really impact them, especially in the later game. So it comes up um, more so in real life than it does on Yukata, but it's not something that you're going to be dealing with throughout the game. It's interesting that I've played it on Yukata and I've played it a lot in, in person. And that's how I learned was in person. And for me, it, it, it paves the way to being a very social game because once you get to know the rules, you can talk. And there's a lot of trash talk when we play it, I know, um, involved with it. So that's really enjoyable. Um, online, it's a little bit different. I feel like there's a different level of concentration you have to pay. Like in person, I can kind of play through my turn and enjoy the dialogue that's going on. But like when we're, when we're online, I like, we all put our blinders on. Right. And we're all like, Hey, person, stop talking. You must play now. Right. Cause otherwise the game will last like six hours and <laughs> we all enjoy our, each other's company. But I mean, I know Adam and I, when we played a two player game once we hit like the three and a half hour mark one time, cause there was just two of us. Right. So like when so you talk, any listeners, okay. Uh, Castle of Burgundy in a two-player game is never going to be a three-and-a-half-hour game. <laughs> like, don't worry about that. The Castle of Burgundy two-player is a hour, maybe hour-and-a-half game if you're playing slowly. But that's the difference. <laughs> that's the difference between yeah. the online experience and the in-person yeah. experience is that it's 100% when you're sitting there, you can chat and make it happen and move. But for some reason with this one, it seems to be that the person who is taking their turn 100%, and I have not found a person yet that can really socialize through their turns. You have to be able to give them that space to move on or you will have that long game. And so it's really interesting. I like it, especially when you get in the three or four player games when we're playing online right now, given you know the pandemic situation, there's three, two or three of us that can have like a great dialogue and it doesn't slow up the game at all. And so that's really nice when we're playing online. And- no, I think I just heard you say two different things though. I thought you were saying in person that it moves smoother when you're being social versus online. It slows things down a lot. Well, it depends how many people are playing. Yeah. Okay, because if okay. you are, if you, there's only two, there's definitely a situation where the, it's not going to happen. Cause when do you talk, right? When's the situation to talk if you have to yeah. concentrate? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think like every one of the online platforms, I mean, Yukata is nice because it's free and it, and it kind of enforces the rules and stuff like that. So that's our go-to platform for Castles of Burgundy. It's also got, it's a little buggy and it's pretty outdated and ugly, but it doesn't matter what online platform you're playing. It's never as smooth of an experience as playing in person. And uh, like, except for, again, I'll get back to, cause we haven't talked about the setup or the like mid round, the things you have to do, the, the upkeep in between rounds. And that's one place where Yukata in specific um, helps, you know, the game helps it move it along a little bit more. Anyway, bottom line is like, yeah, the, the online playing online in any situation, I think it just slows things down, you know, because even in this case, like you said, it gets to your turn and you haven't just been able to browse around the board. Now you have to stop. You've waited for the last person to kind of take their turn before you can even see what they're doing. So <clears throat> it slows things down a little bit. So uh, is there anything else that you guys think from a, just a mechanism perspective that is, you know, kind of unique here or something that you haven't seen or, or something that you, you know, 
that you don't particularly like in the game. I brought up my concern. My main concern is just the player interaction piece. I like a little, maybe just a touch more interaction. I see it's there with a little bit of hate drafting. Mm-hmm. And again, maybe that's just lacking online more so than in person. And that's my only, that's my chief complaint. Yeah. Okay. So what, one other thing about the game, and I mentioned this briefly. So when I, I told you I got this game and I read the rules and I was wowed by it. So, but my first thing, and I just discovered Board Game Geek, you know, shortly before using this. And I think it was one of the first posts I ever did on Board Game Geek. You could probably go find it still right now, but, it, but on, on the Castle of Burgundy board game, my headline was, wow, but, and, and so I read the rules and I was like, this game is amazing, but it literally took me like 15 or 20 minutes to set up all the tiles. Cause you have like seven different types of tiles and you're supposed to turn them all face upside down and then randomly, you know, place them out on the board. And then you also randomly place tiles in between each round. So you've got to do all that upkeep all the starting setup and everything. And so I just do want to give one tip. Like, I think that that is a problem. The, the game is always uniquely variable because of all that setup, because of all the randomness and the fact that you have to go through all that. But it really, you know, I think it's for the weight of the game. I think it's too much. Uh, there is a pretty good solution that so, some BDD users though showed me right away. And that is that you can get some drawstring bags um, and just put all the tiles into those bags. And so then at the beginning of the game, instead of having to like sort them all out and place them upside down, you can just randomly draw tiles out of the bags. And that makes the setup a lot quicker. Um, I still think that the game, like one of the nice things about playing on Yukata, for example, is that it does all that setup for you. And it does the, the mid-ground upkeep. When we play in person, you know, like I typically will go and set the game up for 15 minutes before everyone else sits down at the table and we're ready to play. And even with the bag, you know, solution, it makes it a little bit easier, but it's just a little bit of a hassle. And then, and then in between round, there's that big, you know, like, okay, we just got to the end of the round. So now everyone has to stop and pull, you know, 10 tiles out of every bag and place them all over the board and get everything set up. And I think this game is, you, you know, is kind of unique in that situation is that the, the mid round setup or end round setup is probably heavier than most games of a similar weight. And I think, you know, if they didn't have all that, the game probably wouldn't have as much variance. It wouldn't have as much replayability, but I think it's worth calling out. It's, it's not a particularly fun part of the game and probably my biggest complaint about what the game has to offer. Um, oh, I would say until we get to the production section. So, uh, so I think it's a good time to segue in. Uh, let's talk about the production of the game and uh, Jen, let's start with you this time. Um, any thoughts on the production? You've played the, um, you played the physical version and you've played online, but let's talk about the physical version a little bit. What do you think about the production of Castle of Burgundy? I, again, love this game and I love all the upgrades that you have made because that's the only real version that I have that I have established, right? That's the only real version that I've had interaction with. And I think I talked about this on a past podcast, whereas as you know, after playing it for several years, I eventually, you know, decided to dive in and actually enjoy it. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to go buy myself one. Tim says it's only $20. And you go online, you're like, where's my little silver ore? And, you know, where's my neat little boxes to put everything in? And I'm going to have to pop all these out of the thing. No. <laughs> so, but for me, I, I like the tactileness of, of the silver that you've gotten. So that upgrade makes, makes a big difference for me. I really in, enjoy looking at the pattern i like how the colors are you know cooling it looks you know it's very thematic but when you are playing there's a functionality that's missing because there are 
17 shades of green. There we go. That's the only way to, to talk about this game. And everyone that I'm looking at them on the screen right now, everyone's hands went, yes, Jen, you're a genius. And I thought, yeah, Jen, you are a genius. And so. <laughs> well, that's not what I'm, th- that's not what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fine. I was just thinking, when are, when is she going to get to the color <laughs> and all the problems with it? <laughs> but there is, there's 17 shades of green. The animals are like this kind of neon green, agree with me, shake your heads. And then there's the technology tiles, which are a yellow, but it's not quite yellow, yellow. It's got like a yellow that's kind of slightly attached to a green shade. And then you have your castles, which are 100% green, but then you can you know walk it back a bit and you have your buildings, which are this brownish, let's say it again, brownish, oh, there's a green in there, right? Like there's definitely not just brown. It's got like this teeny bit of green in it. And so um, I was looking forward, Tim had shared with me that there's going to be a new version, an updated version. And so I was ecstatic to find out um, what that would look like. And, so, you know, we've kind of like flirted with the idea of exploring that. I didn't know, um, I haven't really taken a good look at it yet. And so I was just kind of curious what your thoughts were on the on the new version that's coming out. Let me start by saying that this is probably the ugliest game I've ever actually had the pleasure of owning it's it's ugly the components are cheap and low quality you know the cardboard chits are thin the player boards are little pieces of paper this game is like the worst from a production perspective and i still love it you know like i I think that says a lot about the fact that i i still love to pull this game out and teach it to new people and it's probably you know, it, it was, a, I introduced it to you as kind of your gateway into hobby games. And it was probably the last game I should have ever put in front of somebody and expected them to stay in the hobby because it, it's just, it's pretty, it's pretty awful looking. You mentioned the color palette. It's bad. You know, the quality of the components, as I said, are, are all pretty bad. So I was excited. So to circle back to your question about the new version. So Ravensburger released their 20th anniversary version. And it, it it's kind of confusing because it's not the 20th anniversary of Castle of Burgundy, which I think is a 2012 game, but it's Ravensburgers, I think 20th anniversary of their game division or something. So anyway, they released an updated, this was kind of the flagship game of their updated line of games. Everyone was excited about it. They released, uh, they teased a, a copy of the cover, which is very minimalist, very kind of modern looking. It just shows this, you know, kind of cool cover with three gold keys on it. Okay, everyone's excited. And then they finally put it out there. Now, it's not that big of an improvement, unfortunately. The The new version is a, does look a little bit nicer. The colors are a little bit, just slightly stand out a little bit from each other. Um, they're, the, the colors and the, the art and the, um, you know, the user interface on the boards and everything are just a little bit cleaner. But as I mentioned earlier, like if I was going to go and buy this game today, I would buy the new version. But it's not a big enough an improvement for me to change from the old version. So yeah, that, that's my thoughts on it. I mean, it, it's an ugly game. That the game that we play with, the one that I know, the original version of it is is extremely ugly. The new version is slightly better from an art direction perspective. Uh, except for some reason on the player boards, they decided to put the space where you put your dice is a a picture it's supposed to look like a painting of a man on a horse surrounded by a thick gold antique picture frame and it's the ugliest piece of graphic design i've ever seen on a on a game board i think of all time so that alone will prevent me from probably ever owning this this the the updated version of the game they had to do something to outdo themselves with the <laughs> somebody who was like we got to do something super ugly. let's creep this in there we'll keep our title as 
most disgusting game for some reason or another. Oh man, yeah. So seriously, like get for like if they would have pulled in, get Ian Ian O'Toole, get um, I, I, there's any number of board game artists that could have come in and just made this a beautiful work, like for a deserving uh artwork for the quality of the game. This is a this is a classic game. Like this game is, you know, it's next. It's like next level. It's like this this game will be in collections for generations at this point but it could have actually been an heirloom quality game if you just put some you know high quality art in it and just made it something that people actually wanted to look at and and wanted to touch and so what a disappointment that's my feeling sorry i went on a long tangent there but that's my feelings about the new version of the game it's not a long tangent in that sense because i feel like it's one of the most significant things we talk about when we talk about this game is the color scheme itself and i feel like they just tried to say stay so true to the pastures and the water and the, you know, the grass and I mean, technology, I don't know why it had to be neon yellow, but it was. And so when you put that all together, this is, this is exactly what came out. And I think there was a, like this realism or this, you know, very specific like thought that someone had in their head that just had to be thrown onto the page. And so I feel like that's what we're looking at. This game is so ugly and so bland that had you not introduced it to me i would have never touched it like i would have yeah i've heard good things about it i don't care like i looked at it and i was like no i'm not gonna play that it's disgusting and had you not and even when you introduced it to me i was like tim i I don't know how i'm gonna get through this game it's so ugly but like you said the you know the mechanics of it and the gameplay of it it's it's just so nice like it's so sad that it's so ugly and such a good game in there like do something with this. Make it pretty, man. It's not that hard. Have you played it in person yet, Adam? No, just Yukata. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 frustrating. Yeah, it's it's a it's a bummer. I mean, like again, going back, you know, the mechanisms fantastic. I love the game. I've played it a ton. I'll play it anytime. The the yeah. I, I think the only reason I ended up picking it up and maybe even falling in love with it as much as I did is because I got introduced to it before playing a lot of other stuff. So it kind of caught me early, Jen, probably same thing for you. I think, unfortunately, because of the production here, a lot of people are going to miss out on what is quite a remarkable game. So one other thing I'll mention about the the production is um, I always like to talk about the user experience and the user interface. And I think it does do that right to an extent. And this this will cover a little bit about I'll cover this in the next segment a little bit, but the fact is that you can look at your player board and it will tell you almost everything you can do. And there's quite a few different things you have to know in the game, right? You have to know what all the different tiles do. There's like seven different types and, and many of them, the building tiles all do unique things. So aside from the technology tiles, um, like it does a pretty good job of laying those things out for you. And I found after teaching this game quite a few times, Adam, this is probably you know, not as relevant for you because you've only learned it on Yukata. But if you're if you're learning it in person, I can as I'm teaching the rules, I can show you <clears throat> on your player mat um, exactly what an you know like what a tile does based on the iconography. And as you start to learn that iconography, you can reference it yourself. You know, so for for the, the you know relative complexity of the rule set, it does a pretty good job of laying all that information out for you and putting it in front of you. And I like that from user interface, um, and they do it in a pretty succinct way. Um, I would say the one thing that it's really challenging for this game from a user experience perspective is the technology tiles. There are like 25 of them in the game. They're all unique. 
And the iconography is not that great for most of them. So I found for most people, for myself, I had I could stop referencing the rule book on the technology tells after about the 10th play. And I played with my wife about 20 times and she still asks me what most of the technology tiles do, except for the ones, the scoring ones are fairly straightforward, but almost the rest of them, you know, they're just not that straightforward. And so they take a lot of learning and a lot of referencing. And that's, that's a pretty frustrating part of learning and teaching this game. What is nice about Yukata is it, you can scroll your little mouse over each tile and it tells you, it gives you a little summary at the bottom, a little sentence what that tile does or what the scoring does for you. So that's a nice piece about Yukata for this game. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely helpful in a situation like that. Yeah. Other other than that though, I mean, that's kind of our, that, that's my feelings on the production. Okay. It's ugly, basically, you know, bottom line, it's ugly. All right. So uh, let's move into, uh, so for tonight, guys, we had a, a fairly long four player game of it, but a lot of conversation in between, but as far as the gameplay goes, any particularly interesting moments of the game that you wanted to talk about tonight, anything that stood out to you? For me, I guess in my, it was probably going to be what Jen's going to talk about, not to steal her thunder, but I was hanging in there. I was I was doing all right. I was sticking with uh, with Tim, who already ruined the show and said that he won, so <laughs> spoiled it for everybody. No, I was hanging in there for a while, and I was like, oh, this is going great. And then all of a sudden, I think round D, you know, round four out of five, boom, Jen popped up and she was in the lead, like out of nowhere. So she must've had some big dramatic play. I wasn't paying attention to her player board. So I had no idea what she did, but something awesome. And that's kind of the cool thing of this game is if you plan it out, right, you can rack up some huge points in a, in a single round. So maybe Jen, tell us what you did. Well, Adam, sometimes you make me wonder why I even bring the thunder. <laughs> but um... Oh God. <laughs> What happened in the, I didn't see it coming either. I just realized I had the board that has the six votes on it. And then it had, um, and so I finished that off. And then I finished off in the, in the same turn, um, a four player spot with buildings. And so my points, I was like, oh my gosh, I was back with um, Tim's brother, Steve. We were hanging out in like super single digits. And I was like, all right, this is going to be the game tonight. Sometimes you do, you just kind of get buried in the game and that happens. And, you know, if you have good company and you're still enjoying the mental process, it's all right. But I finished off those two sections and boom. And so, yeah, you did, you did still my thunder in that sense. But also I looked up at the score and I was like points away from Tim and I was like, yeah, this feel, you know, it felt good. It was fun. I didn't see it coming. And then when everyone else, like I was just kind of sitting there waiting for someone to notice and all of a sudden everyone noticed. And they're like, yeah, that's always fun when you just kind of like come from nowhere and, you know, take over. And I did not win the game, but I did win the game. I'm whispering. I'm podcast whispering. I did win the game when we played in person on Saturday night. I killed it. And, you know, it's like huge into the 200. So that was really fun. Um, but yeah, you know, it's fun when you really show up in the 200s on this game because you've really done some mental acrobatics to get there. Well, sorry, Jen. I asked the question about the favorite moment of tonight, which means we have to edit out the fact that you beat me on Saturday night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, I see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm um, Yeah, right on. I mean, I think that is, you know, this game, it's often called a point salad. I think Stefan Feld's games are kind of known for that, where you can basically get points anywhere. Um, and But I think, I think this game is really fun in that you can, you have opportunities to catch up because of, like you mentioned, you finished up that six, um, you know, that six island or the, the six water boat section on the board. Uh, so the game is fun. You can get ahead in the beginning by kind of optimizing um, and hitting a lot of those small sections. And then all of a sudden you can jump ahead at the end by, you know, filling in a big, huge section. And so everyone's basically in the running for the game throughout the end of it. And I think I always feel that way. 
Um, yeah, this game to me was, um, you know, there's a lot of fun combos that I managed to pull off and I, you know, it's always great when that happens, but this was a pretty tight game. Like Adam was right on my tail, the whole, like within points, you know, the whole for, you know, first half of the game and then jump Jen jumps ahead of all us. And I managed to kind of like stay with her for a little bit, but it, it, it never felt like there was a runaway leader. Like anyone could have won the game except for Steve. He wasn't going to win. The Steve game. had no chance. No, no, I will give Steve some credit because Steve is not here. Is that Steve was like hanging out at like 30 points for forever, forever. Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he gained like 60 points. I swear to you in one turn. So but he's not sitting here. I will advocate for him. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, I, I always have fun uh, just seeing what I can pull off with the game and, uh, you know, whether I'm seemingly in the lead or seemingly behind, I know that the game could go any direction. So it's always ex- exciting throughout the end just because, you know, things can switch up. And I did, you know, we were talking about hate drafting a little bit earlier. I did hate draft a little bit with you guys. I was clicking around to the other tabs and seeing what people needed. And I, it probably kind of cemented my, you know, finish in the end. So it's fun to see where you can kind of be clever and take from someone else and, you know, add to your own empire there. So. I don't know. I um I think that uh, th- this game I've never not had fun playing it. So that's you know sixty something plays in for me. Um, it's always a fun one. All right, so let's jump into our final question. Would you ask to play this game again? And um, I'll go ahead and start with this one. Yeah, I think um, what I'll say is I've played it quite a bit. As I mentioned, the you know the production's pretty boring, and the gameplay at this point, although it's fun, it does you know it, it's always a fun time it's starting to get just a little bit tired for me. Like I still like playing it. I'm always happy to play it, but it's going to be unique situations where this is my game of choice to pick. But that being said, I think where it does shine is that it is a great, I I wouldn't even call it a gateway game. I think it's a little heavier than a gateway game and probably heavier than I should have introduced Gen 2, but I was just too excited to not, you know, like when I, when I taught it to her, I was like, yeah, this is, Daniel likes this game. Let me just get something else a little bit heavier in front of Jen. So we're not just playing, you know, hearts and, and golf all the time, but it's probably a little heavier than a gateway game. And it probably, maybe Jen can speak to this a little bit, but it probably wasn't the easiest to get into initially until you really learn the game. But that being said, I think it's a great job, you know, like as you're trying to pull people out of gateway territory and they're like, they're kind of excited about, games and now you're like okay now let's get into something a little bit more complex a little more meaty i think castle of burgundy is a fantastic game for that i think um once people kind of understand modern board gaming and you know have a good grasp on some general mechanisms i think castle of burgundy is a great way to kind of show them how just smooth a game can run and how the mechanisms even if you know ignoring the fact that there's almost no theme on the game that the production's terrible that just there are some great mechanisms and some really amazing ways to put together a game and just make it fun in every turn to be a fun and interesting puzzle so i think castle Brandy is a great intro to the to kind of heavier weight games and that's that's when i'm typically going to be the one asking for this game uh what about you adam you have now played it probably half a dozen times with us on yukata generally would you request to play Castle of Burgundy. In certain circumstances, I think I would request to play this game. It's a very, for me, it's a very much a social medium. It was a, a way to hang out and BS with friends. For if I'm going to play like a something a little more competitive, I, I guess my brain just doesn't fully engage with this one. 
unless the competition's giving me reason to get fired up about it, then <laughs> <laughs> then I'll go wholeheartedly. But yeah, for me, I just I don't know. Maybe it is the color palette. I'm just like, how am I supposed to look at this for more than five seconds at a time? Yeah, for me, I don't think I request to play it. I don't. I don't not enjoy playing it. Every time I do play it, it's a, it's a great time. And um, I don't know. It's a good game. But what I requested, probably, I'd probably go with something else. All right, Jen, what about you? Well, note that Alex never said no. So we should throw that out there, right? There's there's a piece of that that exists too, right? So, but what I requested? <laughs> yes, I love this game. I can't put it into words. Like, it was my gateway game. And it did. It took, and I said it earlier, it took me several years. And that's because for a portion of time, you know, Tim and his wife and I did not live in the same city. So when we met up, we were often on vacation together. And so we would play two or three times and I'd be like, oh, please, oh, my brain hurts. Let's just play cards, right? Or let's just do something else altogether. And um, we did, we had puzzles for a long time. That was super fun. Ravensburger puzzles. And now I just, I like it. I like it's different every single time. I like that we get to be really social during it, whether it is online or whether it's not, however we play it, whether that turns it into an hour game or a four hour game. It, it just kind of is what it is. And so it's dependable for me. It still challenges me and makes me feel good. It's going to have a special place in my heart because it brought me into a place where all these other games now have popped into my life. And I really enjoy them. Yeah, I don't think uh, you mentioned saying that it took a few years, like a couple of years to get into. I don't think it was a couple of years. I think it was a couple trips, though. Yeah. Right. And so we probably over, you know, a year of several trips where we kind of I introduced the first time. And you're kind of, I, I remember Jen's face, me teaching it to her. And she just was so not inter- like clearly not interested at all. And it's a long, it's a pretty long rules teach because there's a lot of stuff you got to show. But then she started playing it. I still remember after the first one, like the next morning, I was like, hey, you guys up for a game? And she's like, yeah, let's try that Castles game again, right? So, you know, even pretty quickly, I was a little bit surprised, to be honest. I, I honestly didn't think that she'd enjoy it that much. And she kind of, it, you know, asked for it again. But lately, it's like, I get a text every two nights. Like, are we going to play Castle of Burgundy tonight? Are we going to play? Like, it's, it's like, I think it's a great game to kind of experience that dopamine hit of, Hey, I just did something clever. Hey, this turn was, and then it just happens, you know, 50 actions through the game and 35 of them can be fun little combos that you pull off. And so it can kind of give you that little like excitement of like, I just did something cool. Even, even if I didn't win the game, I got to, I hit my goals. I did what I wanted to get to, you know, get done with this game. And so I think, you know, that that's why it's had some staying power for me. And I, I get the sense, Jen, that that's why it's been a great introduction uh, for you into the hobby as well. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, thanks. Um, That was a good discussion on the Castles of Burgundy. And uh, I think that'll wrap us up for that conversation today. So let's jump in with our final question for the night. Is there anything that you guys are interested in uh, this week in the world of board gaming? So Adam, why don't we start with you? So one of my first Kickstarters was this game called Sweet Mess. It's one of the 16 or whatever that I'm waiting on. It's supposed, I thought it was cute. It's like how to, how to bake. What's that? So it's, it's based on a kitchen and you're gathering these ingredients and making this thing and you're getting points for making these little, I thought I'd be able to play with my daughter and it's like kind of cooking. And so the components look fun and the Kickstarter look fun. And this is going on like three or four years now that this game is late oh, <laughs> and this, this poor guy, like I, I have sympathy for him. He's trying his hardest and he keeps putting out these very 
desperate pleading. He's got so many haters all over the internet, which you can understand as a, you know, as a Kickstarter guy who's having trouble delivering on his game. So just kind of watching this drama play out, I might just go read some of the Kickstarter comments just to see what's out there and, and see how, how much this guy's taking it. Am I looking forward to that? I guess somewhat from my, my drama sense once I read some of that. I, you know, I have not, um, I've backed, I don't know, a dozen or so Kickstarters at this point, and I have not run into any, I've had, uh, you know, several of them have been delayed a little bit, but not, for me, none of them have been delayed that far. So what possibly could, you know, like somebody puts out a game and they expect to get it produced and distributed and probably within a year usually, you know, what, what is it that's holding him up for three to four years? What, what could have, and this, I, this does not look like a complicated game to produce. It looks like, you know, some probably cardboard punch boards and a board and some cards. Like what, what does this guy run into? That's, that slowed him down. It's been like something wasn't quite right. There was something off with the game trays. So I had to go back to game trays and get that all figured out. And then some component was missing a chef's hat, something about a chef's hat that had to go back. And then uh, of course, coronavirus came and that's caused delays but this was all you know this was supposed to get here like christmas of 2017 or something like that so he's always got you know a very plausible reason that stuff has delayed but there's just been so many of them it's is there a is there now an expected release date do you actually expect to get it at some point he assures all backers that the game will arrive at some point Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, good. That sounds that sounds really promising. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope it's uh, I hope it's worth the wait. And yeah, by the time you get it, your daughter will probably be plenty old enough to to play <laughs> She'll it. She'll be like twenty five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Right on. Uh, I'll jump in next. So there is a game that I've seen uh, making the rounds this week in in media. Um, this week was supposed to be the big European uh, game convention. Um, what's it called? Uh, Eschen Spiel, right, yeah. Uh, so that's like the biggest game convention in the world, and that would have happened this week. So they did like a digital version of it, so you know publishers could still talk about their game releases and people could get online and, and do some some plays of it. And the one game that I have has really kind of drawn my attention from the little bit of coverage I've paid attention to, which, which hasn't been much, honestly, is a game called Lost Ruins of Arnak. If you, got, if you know me, if you've listened to my, uh, you know, like the games that I'm into, it contains two of my favorite mechanisms, um, which are pretty commonplace right now. It contains worker placement and it contains deck building. And I love games with deck building and I love games with worker placement. The two mechanisms just fit for me. Like they just make me happy. They both tend to have like a little bit of an engine building, a little bit of resource management planning mechanism. But I got to say that lately I have been kind of put off by any games that had those mechanisms because I already have enough in my collection. I just don't feel like they're doing enough different to make it interesting. But this game, I saw it and it's just beautiful. The artwork is beautiful. It's just like, what you know, like, listen, we talked about Castle of Burgundy production all night long. Like, I almost want to buy this game regardless of how it plays because this, the Lost Ruins of Arnak, because it just looks cool. The artwork is is fresh. It's colorful. It just feels like a, a world that I want to live in. But um, I do happen to like those mechanisms, and I read that that's what it was based on. So I dug in a little bit, and it looks like great fun to me. I still have the concern about it maybe being too much like other games I've played, but every early reviewer I've read are just raving about it, saying it's the best game of the year. And so bottom line is I'll probably end up buying it and pretty excited about it. I I think it's probably going to just fit a sweet spot. I'm, I'm understanding that. It has a lot of those, you know, similar mechanisms that we played before, but done in unique ways that kind of 
you know, take the best of both worlds and combine them together. And I haven't seen worker placement deck building done. So I, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty interesting. It looks beautiful. I, I'll probably end up picking it up at some point. I'm not going to rush to get it. Yeah. That, that's, that's the biggest thing that I've been kind of drawn to. One little other note I just read today that Stonemaier Games is releasing a second expansion for Tapestry, which the the first expansion is uh, I just got in pre-order a couple of weeks ago. It's one. It's a very you know it's a game that I love quite a bit. We just had a podcast on it and discussed it last week, so you can hear my thoughts on Tapestry. But I'm already excited about a second expansion for it. I think the first expansion had some really great things to it, and um, whatever they're going to do with the second expansion will be fun to just expand that world a little bit. So that was another piece of news I just heard today that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, what about you, Jen? Anything exciting for you in board gaming this week? For me, what's exciting in board gaming is what's happening right in front of me. So <laughs> you're on a podcast. Yay. <laughs> this is the podcast. This podcast right here, this game of Castles of Burgundy. Two things happened, I think, this week that were awesome for my gameplay experience, anyway. So that I thought was hip and happening was one. What's the name of that game? We play? Artemis. Tell me what the, the Artemis Project. The Artemis Project. So um, a couple weeks ago, you introduced us to that game, and it was there was a lot of rules. That one was rough to learn. But I have got to tell you, as soon as we were done, I could not wait to play it again. And I wasn't ready for it that same weekend, but I really enjoyed it. There was the part, like, you know, there's the worker placement. It was just, I enjoyed, like, the banter that went on. There's a piece of it where we get to talk about going on expeditions together, and there's a trust factor involved. So there's a lot in that one. So I look forward to actually playing that one as a group and maybe doing a future podcast on it because I really enjoy it. There's just a lot going on in that game. And so played it last weekend again, and it just, it was a whole different level and I'm hoping to play it again this weekend. And then another piece is that started a cooperative game with my son last week. And it was, it was, it was rough to get him through the first time. And it turns out that we had not interpreted the directions the first time correctly. However, we brought it over to Tim's house. (laughs) Everything was straightened out. And um, it's funny because he was having a rough day and he was just kind of like in a moody mood. And so we're like, hey, buddy, what do you want to like, what can we do? How can we bring you back in? And his first answer was, well, let's play a game. Like he wanted to be involved in what the adults were doing and he wanted to play a game with us. And so that I thought that was a really neat rebound moment. Right. And the parenting world was like, you know, he sees us playing these games and I play age appropriate games with the whole family a lot. But he started to play with us. He's played parks with us and really enjoys it playing this forbidden desert cooperative game now and really enjoys it and so for me that's you know that lights me on fire in a whole different way knowing that he's doing something that's so you know good for his brain and such an opportunity to build a relationship with him in that moment and so that's what's going on that's great nice so yeah i think i really think and i've started to realize this like i've tried to get my daughter you know she's just her nine and i've tried to get her into a lot of kind of modern board games trying to you know bring in lighter ones and she she's so cute. She wants to make dad happy. So she wants to play games with me, but I can tell that she just doesn't actually have the, you know, like she just doesn't want to spend an hour trying to like plan out resources and stuff like that. Right. Like she's not ready to do Euro games, but I do think that cooperative games like forbidden desert are a great way to introduce your kids to, to, you know, kind of modern hobby board games. Like I, I think I wish I would have started there, and I still actually haven't found because I'm just not a big fan of cooperative games in general. I just tend to prefer 
competitive situations. But I think if I really want to get her engaged with board games, I think cooperative is probably the best way to go. And I am very, you know, like interested in kind of finding that cooperative game that is a good fit for her. So I think that's great that you introduced Luke to it. And I'm sure that that's going to be a good fit for you. I wanted to call out the Artemis project. Um, It's not a super well-known game, not not really popular. Um, If any of you who are listening have, um, you know, like Euro games, but like interaction, the Artemis Project is probably the most interactive Euro game. It's not a super heavy game. Jen mentioned there's a lot of rules. You know, in Euro game world, it's it's probably on the kind of mid, it's very midweight, probably less complex than Castles of Burgundy, to be honest. It is super, there's so much interaction going on there. It's so much fun. Like you mentioned, there, there's a lot of like, oh my God, you just took that from me situations or help me with this. I really need you to help me with this. There, there's a lot of great interaction that happens in that game. And so that is a game, but it was a, a game that I kickstarted and probably got delivered about a year ago, but I've never not had a fun experience playing with it. The, the game maybe could be a little more streamlined. The production maybe could be a little bit more you know, professional, but I always have a good time playing. And I think that's a game that will stay in my collection for that purpose. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you had a fun time with it as well. All right, cool. Well, I think that will wrap us up today. Thanks uh, for the great conversations. You can find us on Twitter at BG underscore hot takes on Facebook at board game hot takes and on boardgamegeek.com under guild 3804. Tell us what you thought of our takes on the game we played today. We'd love to hear from you until next week. Take care everybody and get out and vote. You got one more day when this, this podcast gets released. Good night guys. Thanks for having me. 